Welcome to Cornerstone, where we inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life, as well as bringing glory to God in the process. Uh, some will be listening on demand from our website. Some will be watching online on Sunday mornings. And others of you, you are, who are here, are with us on site. And so I'm so very glad to have you here. If you are new to Cornerstone, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. You can do that by uh, letting us know who you are. And the best way to do that is to text the word NEW to our church number 603-225-2550. We are in a series where we have been going through the Psalms. It's called Permission to be Real, and I'm going to set it up with a story this morning. A couple of years ago, uh, John, my son, and I went on a hike. Now, I know like yesterday, Dustin and a couple of people we know went on an eight-hour crazy hike, which I'm sure he's paying for right now. And if you are on Facebook and are friends with uh, Kent and Elizabeth, you see that they've been pretty active and pretty busy. This was not one of those hikes. <laughs> this, this, was, this was easy. This was uh, doable. This was me-sized. We went on uh, the Oak Hill Trail, uh, which takes you up to a fire tower, and it's in the northern end of Concord. And uh, it was enjoyable. It was nice because it was actually like the beginning of springish, and so the weather was beginning to turn nice. It was during COVID, so everybody just wanted to get out of the house and go someplace where you could take off your mask and get outside into the fresh air. And so we went and we located the trailhead, we followed the trail up to the tower, and then we climbed the tower and got the reward of that great view. And in that process, I see a parallel to what we see in this psalm that we're going to look at today. Today's message is called Trailhead because in this psalm, we see here is the trailhead to the life that God wants to give us. And the question that I put up there is, how do I get started on the path to a transformed life? We've talked recently about how uh, we want to inspire and equip people to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. Why? Because that transforms your life. You become better at life and life gets better with Jesus. And so how do you find the beginning of that trail? Because we wouldn't have been able to go on that trail. We wouldn't have been able to get to the fire tower if we had not been able to locate the start of that trail. And so in, the simil in a similar way, when it comes to our spiritual journeys, we have to know how to get started as well. And I'm going to take it a little bit beyond that to not just get started, but what does the start of that hint at for what God wants for us? And that's, I think, the bigger question that we're going to be answering today, because um, the trail reflects what God has in mind for us, what path we choose and the path that we take leads us somewhere. Because the, the whole point of the trail that I went on was to get to the fire tower. And why did you want to get to the fire tower? So you could climb up it and experience the view. That's the payoff for that trail. It's what the ultimate goal was. Well, God has a path and a trail for us that reflects 
what he wants for us. And so very often, I think, people's view of church and religion and all of that is more about what does God want from me? Give me the list of things that I have to do. What does God expect of me? But I think that the reason that God lays out a path for us, the reason that he sent Jesus, the reason that he gave us his word, which gives us all the instruction and guidance that we need, is because he wants to take us somewhere. He wants to take us somewhere. So what does God want for us? And we'll see that in this psalm. Today's psalm is ultimately about, and our topic is the idea of change. Today, we are talking about change and the process that gets us there, how we get on that path, and what God wants for us in leading us on that path. It's Psalm 51, which is a very famous psalm. Some of you will have certainly read it and heard of it before, and some of it will sound familiar. But the whole emphasis of this psalm is how we get on that path to the transformed life. And the whole psalm leads us to this idea of confession. Because confession is the trailhead to the transformed life. And that's what we see in this psalm. So as a result, when we get to the challenge, when we get to the idea of practically working out what this means, I'm going to challenge you to get on that path. And if you're not on that path, and if you are on that path, to take your next step toward God. So let's look at it together pray, and then we will dive right in. Again, this is Psalm 51. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, if you'd like to follow along, and let's look at it together. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done e what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then... I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for, my sh for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I may praise you. 
You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have offered us forgiveness and that you have shown us the trailhead, the start, the first steps to the life that you have for us. I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would speak to each heart. Every person came in here with questions on their mind, concerns, heartbreaks, trials, for some rejoicing, things that we are celebrating. Lord, you know where everyone is and whatever their point of need is right now, I pray, Lord, that you would meet them there and that we would become a people who are always continually taking steps towards you. Show us how. Motivate us. Give us courage and steadfastness of spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Really, this psalm is a lot about confession and cleansing because that is, in fact, the starting point, the trailhead to the transformed life. So let's begin there. The first thing that I want you to notice is that our path, the path that we are on, begins with, starts with confession. And remember I said that I think this is a revelation of what God wants for us, and so I'm going to give you a secondary statement with each main point. Our path starts with confession. The secondary statements all start like this. I want you, and I hear in this God saying, and also I will echo my shepherd's heart as your pastor for us, for you, is this. I want you to be real. We named this whole series about the Psalms, Permission to Be Real, and we've been emphasizing over and over again how in the Psalms we see people being real, expressing how they are really feeling, what they are really going through, even if it's ugly, even if it's not politically correct, even if it's not what they think that God probably wants to hear from them. They are just being honest, open, authentic, and real before God, and this I think just re-emphasizes that fact that God, when we come to him, when we gather as a church, we have permission to be real. We do not have to put on airs. We do not have to pretend that we are something that we are not. In fact, our whole relationship with God begins with authenticity, admitting that we are sinners, that we fall short, that we need his forgiveness. We see this theme in verse 3 where it says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. It says literally it's constantly before me. It's constantly before my face. Have you ever had a time where you blew it so badly 
you messed up so horrifically, you just can't get it out of your mind. It's like everywhere you turn, you're reminded of your failure. That's what he's saying. This is what it's like. And what is he doing? He's saying, I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to pretend that it doesn't exist. I'm just going to be honest and open before you, God. I recognize I'm a rebel. I recognize that I have chosen the path that I knew was not your path. I have recognized it. I admit it. Confession has been defined as agreeing with God about something. That con is with, okay? So you're saying with God what he is saying about your sin and your brokenness. I recognize it. I admit it. I stand before you a rebel. It's constantly before me. I can't get it out of my mind or out of my sight. Our trailhead begins with confession. If we want to get on the path that God wants for us, then we have to just be real about it and acknowledge it. Let's go on. In the next verse, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. I want to make sure that we talk about this because this can cause a little bit of confusion. The subscript, the superscript to this uh, uh, psalm, which is something that scribes would add later, they would look at it and they would try to find a setting that it would fit with. So the superscripts, those settings we do not consider part of the scripture or something that was added later. Maybe it was true. Maybe it's not. But they, what they would do is they'd say, look, there's some connection here. And so they said, here, this looks like a good psalm that would fit with David when he committed adultery and then murdered to cover it up. And so that's the setting. And there's some certain key words that are in that story that are repeated in the psalm. And so they made that connection. Maybe that's the connection. Maybe not. We see some development of the, of the psalm that would have been beyond that time and place and that setting. But um, that causes some confusion because Obviously, if David committed adultery and then murdered the woman's husband to cover it up, it's kind of hard to see how it's only God that was, that was offended or hurt in that process, right? I mean, there was a little bit more going on than that. So what is the psalmist saying there? Is it saying that the, the victims of my sins don't matter? No, what it's recognizing is that even when I sin against somebody else, God is an offended party. He has been, he, he, he has been sinned against as well. Why? Because he created people in his image, because he cares about the way we treat one another. And so what he's recognizing here is that no matter where I sin, against whomever I sin, I also ultimately and breaking your law. I'm sinning against you. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Remember, this is poetry. So there's going to be hyperbole. There's going to be exaggeration. There's going to be poetic language and license. And so he's not saying that there aren't other injured parties. He's just emphasizing that every sin God is an offended party in that transaction. I've done what is evil in your sight. Here, 
he is recognizing that God is the one who gets to determine what is right and wrong. Ultimately, it's not me. It's not I that get to choose what's right and wrong. We recognize that God is the one who decides what is right and wrong. And so when I cross that line, I am a, I'm committing an offense against God. And so he goes on to say, second half of that verse, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And again, recognizing God gets to decide what's right and wrong, and when I transgress that, I'm transgressing against him, and therefore, when he judges me, his judgment is just. He's the one that gets to decide. And so his judgment against me is just. Now, that confession is not just of individual sins, but it's also a recognition of the pervasive sinfulness that is within us. What is he confessing? Yeah, I did some things wrong. Yes, he confesses that. But he's also confessing that there's something wrong, broken and wrong within me as well. It's not that I just do wrong things, that there is something wrong within me that needs to be fixed as well. And in fact, that brings out an interesting aspect of this psalm, which is most of these petition psalms are asking for protection or help against something or someone who is outside of that person. I've got enemies at my gate. Please help me, protect me. I'm sick and I need to be healed. There's something uh, foreign invading my body that needs to be taken care of here. He's saying the problem that I need your help with is not out there, it's in here. And he emphasizes that in this next verse. In Psalm 51.5, it says, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, uh, again, I wanted to throw this verse in there because there's been some crazy stuff. Is that saying that, that uh, the, the act that produces conception is sin? No, that was God's idea. It's a good thing. That's some people crazy ideas have come out of that. Um, what is it saying? It's saying, look, my sinfulness is so pervasive that I was a sinner from the start. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying it in poetic language. And so he says, from the moment I was born, what, is he saying I, I did something wrong? No, it's just like there's a brokenness in us that is present from the beginning. Now, even though it is poetic language, I do think it's interesting that he's, uh, look at the parallel. In this line of poetry, remember there's a parallelism. The two measures are in parallel. So first he says, I was born a sinner. And then the parallel is, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Interesting that even in this pre-scientific world that this psalm is written in there was a recognition and this is just one of the places that we see this in the scripture that life doesn't begin when the baby enters into the world doesn't begin when the parents decide that they want that baby doesn't begin at some artificial point where vi that's described as viability do you know viability has to do more with our current technology than the nature of 
the, the life within the womb. These are all just examples, but even way back there, they recognize that life began when? From the moment of conception. So what is he saying there? His point is, look, I've, I, have a per, I do stuff that's wrong, but I also, that is reflective of who I am. There is something wrong with me. The way my uh, favorite commentator, I've been using this commentary throughout this series, James L. Mays puts it this way, my problem is not just the need of pardon for a particular wrong, but deliverance from the predicament of myself. Have you been dealing with the predicament of yourself lately? <laughs> Does that come up every once in a while? I'm in a predicament. It's me. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's talking about. So you understand what he's saying. Now, in contrast, he's, uh, uh, he, he says, look, that's the, that's the way it was. And yet, and yet, that you have something else for me. You want something different for me. Verse 6, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even from there. Now, this is, this is a, um, the New Living Translation. Literally, it says in the innermost parts on, where it says honesty from the womb. Uh, you, want, you want integrity from my innermost parts. So what they're saying is, look, I, uh, uh, the way they're interpreting that is, I was a sinner and broken from the moment my life began when you couldn't even see me, I was already in the predicament of myself. But what does God want for us? He wants even those hidden places, even from the very start, for, for you to have integrity and honesty, teaching me wisdom even in there. Other translations have tra translated that innermost place as the heart, but it, it, it still seems to have that idea of the unseen what do you like when nobody's around? I'm broken. What does God wants for, want for you, even in the places that nobody can see? He wants integrity. He wants wholeness. He wants healing for you. So the confession is a recognition of individualized sins. It's a confession that there's something broken within me, and that's why I do these individualized sins. But this is, this is the hopeful part. This confession is is also rooted in God's character. It's not that, oh man, it's not just beating up on yourself. It's not just saying, oh, I blew it. There's something wrong with me. What's the whole point of this prayer? What is it rooted in? What is the basis on which the psalmist is offering this confession? It doesn't lead to condemnation. It leads to transformation, to forgiveness. And we see that from the very first verse. This is what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Notice that he starts, because this is the first verse of the whole um, psalm, not with his own brokenness. That's kind of a given. But he begins the psalm by recognizing that the only hope I have because of my brokenness, because of my sorry track record, is God's track record of unfailing love, his faithfulness, his goodness. And the reason that it is safe for me to be real, to be open and honest, 
is that I have the hope that when I face my own brokenness honestly, that God can step in and forgive those individual sins, but also heal me from the inside out. So he begins with that. Why am I confessing? Why am I coming to you, oh God? Because I know what you're like because of your unfailing love. And in the next line, he picks up the same theme. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. What is my hope when I see my sin, when I see my brokenness, my hope is in the fact that God has unfailing love and a great compassion. And so that makes it safe for me to be open, honest, and real. Why, why do sometimes people avoid that? Because they feel like if I'm honest with God, if I'm honest with myself about who I am, then there's no hope because religion says you got to be a good person. And to confess and to be authentic about who you are is to realize that I do bad things and I have something broken within me. And if that's the case and religion, the only way to do things is to be good, then I'm hopeless and I have to pretend that I'm good. I have to uh, uh, put out excuses and uh, mitigating reasons for the way that I acted because that's my only hope is to show how I'm not quite as bad as it seems like I am. And when I come in front of other religious people, then I need to put on a certain, I need to manage my, my perception of people. I need to, to act a certain way. I need to make people think well of me, but no. No, the, the reality of Christian faith, authentic Christian faith, is that I can be real about who I am because God is a God of great compassion and mercy. So that's the biggest emphasis of this psalm is on the starting point, the trailhead. If you don't find the trailhead, you cannot get on the path and confession being real about who you are before God and others is the trailhead to the transformed life. But notice, where does it lead? See, when we got on that trailhead, our, our, we wanted to make sure that we were on the right path that led to the fire tower because that was our destination. And the destination of this life is the transformed life. Our path leads to transformation, because God just doesn't want to forgive us. He wants to make us whole. I want you to be whole. I want you to hear God's word to you in this. I want you to be whole. I want you to hear my heart for you as your pastor. I want you to be whole. Several years ago when I took my sabbatical and I was looking at different churches and visiting around at different churches because that gave me the opportunity to do that, I still love another church in our region. Their mission statement, they described it this way, take people from lost to found to whole. Lost to found to whole. And, and whole has that idea of the, the Old Testament concept concept of shalom, that there is wholeness. When we describe our sinfulness, I often use the term brokenness, and salvation is being made whole again, being made whole. So, so 
the transformed life includes forgiveness. Yeah, it does. Uh, verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. We can be open, honest, and real. We can confess. We can be authentic because that's the path to, that, that gets us on the path. And part of that path is forgiveness, that God wipes our slate clean because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He removes the stain of my guilt. He takes our sorry record, attributes it to Jesus as he dies on the cross. And then as a result of that, when we place our faith in Jesus, we get, his, we get uh, attributed his clean, perfect record. He removes the stain of our guilt. But it, then it goes beyond that. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's one thing to be forgiven of your past it's one thing to declare bankruptcy and have all of those debts forgiven. It's another thing to be transformed, to live a new life, to handle yourself uh, differently. And that's what he is asking for and what the gospel promises. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart. What was, the, what was wrong with me? I've been broken since day one. Well, now make me whole. Create in me. Cre create something that wasn't there before. A clean, a pure heart. Renew a loyal spirit. Uh, other translations say a steadfast spirit. Those, those, those two, um, that word kind of uh, speaks to me more clearly. It's like I keep going in the same direction. I'm unwavering. I'm loyal. I'm steadfast. One step after another, putting one foot in front of the other, I'm on the right path. Renew that kind of life, that kind of determination, that kind of spirit within me. It's not just the forgiveness for the past. It's writing a new story for you to live. He goes on and it says, I'm going to take care of you from the inside out. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Remember, this is a petition about the brokenness within us. He's saying, fix that. Purify me from the past. Make me clean. Give me a fresh start. Then the Apostle John talked about the same exact thing. Maybe he had this psalm in his mind when he pinned this to the churches. If we confess our sins, what's our part? The confession, agreeing with God, recognizing and admitting our brokenness. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just. What, what was verse 1? Because of your great mercy, because of your compassion, because he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, how could a just and holy God cleanse us, excuse us, and then purify us? It's because of Jesus. He could, he could condemn the sins that we have committed in Jesus on the cross so that no sin goes unpunished. Did you ever think about that? Forgiveness was not cheap. It was bought with an extreme price. Because every one of my sins, every one of your sins was laid on Jesus on the cross. And therefore, he's faithful and just. He didn't let sins go unpunished, but in his faithfulness and goodness, he let them fall to Jesus on the cross. And so, that's what it says. Our part, confession. His part, he forgives us, takes care of the past. 
but he also purifies us from all unrighteousness. He writes a new future for us. Then another verse I just wanted to make sure that we covered just so that it gets rid of any confusion. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The, the psalmist here is expressing his desire to be constantly in God's presence. Now, uh, this is not exactly a parallel. It's not exactly what it means, but it does make me think of their temple because to go into God's presence, they would have equated with going into the temple. This was probably compiled in its final form as with all with, with the book of Psalms after the exile when the temple had been destroyed. And so I hear a little bit more meaning in that. Don't banish me from your presence. Now that your temple is gone, how can I be close to you? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't, I want to be in your presence. See, this is a, this is a, uh, a line with two measures. What's the parallel? The presence and the Holy Spirit. Here's why I wanted to include this. Fast forward to the church age that we live in now. When a person says yes to Jesus, they are trans forgiven from their past. They are transformed from the inside out. And as part of that transformation, you receive God's Holy Spirit, his presence to live and reside in you, to live the life of Jesus in and through you. Do not be confused by this to think that that is just some kind of temporary or conditional change. Because as one famous pastor put it, I can't slip through his hand. I'm one of his fingers. You are a part of the body of Christ. And if you have been transformed from the inside, if you have been adopted into his family, he does not abandon or forsake you. This is, again, old, this is pre-Jesus, pre-Pentecost, psalm, poetic language, just saying, I want to be with you, and I recognize that my sins are keeping me far from you. Don't do everything necessary in order for me to be with you. That's, that's the heart of what he's saying. And for us, we have the promise that if we have said yes to Jesus, if he adopted us in the family, I will never leave or forsake you. You can't lose his Holy Spirit. You cannot be banished from his presence. You have been made a part of his body. This is what the apostle Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You've been changed from the inside out. You can't, that can't be undone. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so, as always, I, I want to take a moment during the message to say, if you have not taken that step of confessing, I am a sinner, I, there's brokenness within me that needs to be made whole, and look to Jesus as the one who God sent to suffer on the cross so that we could be forgiven. His, our sins laid to his account, his righteousness credited to our account, transforming us from the inside out, making us into new people so that we have a new path to walk on and have a new destination and a new life. Say yes to Jesus. So the psalm emphasizes confession as the starting point or trailhead to the transformed life. It starts with confession, but it, it, it leads to transformation. 
And then lastly, there are a couple of places in here where you see the word then. And that's what I want to emphasize right now. Once we, John and I, went on that trail, we found the trailhead. We knew where to start. We followed the path. We looked for the blazes, and eventually it took us to the tower. What did we do next? Did we say, oh, nice tower, and turn around and go back down? No. We climbed the tower. And why did we climb the tower? Because we wanted to experience the view. That was the payoff. That was the point. What is the payoff? Of this transformed life our path results in usefulness our path results in usefulness what does God want for us he wants I believe and I as your pastor want for us I want you to be productive I want your faith to be productive this section begins in verse 12 where the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. A person who is in their sin and obstinate about it and unwilling to admit it, that person is miserable. But once you confess, once you find that trailhead, once you get on that path, it restores the joy of your salvation. Make me, transform me from the inside out. Make me willing to obey you. But then, what's, what's the point of that? What's the, what's, what's the payoff? Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. How did he start off? I'm a rebel, and, and I, need, I, need, I need to be fixed. I need to be transformed. I need to be changed from the inside out. And he said, once you do that, then I'm going to be productive. I'm going to find other people who don't know the path yet and lead them along and show them the way. I'll teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. There's productivity at the heart of that. And so often, I think people get the, the sense that what God wants for them is to give them something to do for an hour on Sunday. What God wants for them is to just know, memorize a couple of Bible verses. What God wants for them is that, to make sure that they have a Bible and do their daily devotions. All of those are great but they are means to an end. God wants you to be productive in your faith. Let me just throw out a couple of verses that emphasize this from the New Testament. In 2 Peter 1.8, the Apostle Peter has given the church all of these different character qualities that are showing a productive Christian life. And he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful, productive and useful. What does the Apostle Peter in his role as pastor of these people, want, he wants them to be productive and useful. The more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I want you to know stuff? Do I want you to memorize the Bible? Do I want you to have a daily quiet time? Absolutely. I want, but I want you to be productive and useful in your knowledge. And that's important for us individually, but also for the body as a whole. The people that are that are missing that that we miss them not just relationally but also because you would miss a part of your body if it wasn't here with you today i mean we we need to be whole and god wants his church to be whole ephesians 4 16 says as each part every single part 
every single one of us. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God wants his church, his body, his people to be healthy and growing and full of love. And the only way that happens is if you are productive and useful, if you're participants, if you're contributors in the body. And this is a new verse I just ran across. Well, I mean, obviously, I've read it before, but it's a different translation, and it really stuck with me. Jesus speaking to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world and bear fruit. He's chosen you. He's commissioned you to sit an hour someplace on Sunday mornings now to, to make sure that you spend 15 minutes reading your Bible. Yeah, that's great, but I've commissioned you i've chosen you to go into the world and bear fruit one of the other churches that meets here put up a banner you see it every week as you leave most likely you are now what entering the mission field that's 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 what we're talking about i've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world and bear fruit so God wants that for us as well. He wants us, then I will teach rebels your ways and many will, will, will follow you. That's, that's, that's the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We are to be a church on mission. And then while he's speaking individually, he now shifts it to corporately. Here's another then coming up. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this almost seems like a, a shift because it's like we've been talking about confessing sins, transformation. We're talking about now we're getting into the more usefulness part of it. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help other people to find their way back to you. But what is this all about? Now, looking with favor on Zion, the, the mountain of God, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But here, what's the then? Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. Uh, right before this, he has said, uh, and this is actually parallels Psalm 40 that we looked at last week. You did not desire sacrifices, verse 16, or I would offer one. You didn't want burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Now, we talked about this last week with, verse, with chapter 40. Kind of a weird statement because God's word prescribed these offerings. God's word commanded these. So what is he saying there? He's saying, uh, remember this is post-exile. Three main, three main movements in, in the Old Testament. There's the formulation of the people of God and then their descent into slavery. There's the exodus and the development of the kingdom, and then there's the destruction of the kingdom and being spread into exile, and then their return. So here, the people are in exile. There's no temple where they can offer sacrifices. And what, is, what did God say through the prophets? I'm so tired of your sacrifices. I wish that you would just stop doing it because they don't reflect your heart. You're just going through the motions and you're doing all this evil as soon as you walk out the door. So I'm gonna put an end to it. I'm gonna tear down my own house so that you can't do that anymore. 
And then the psalmist says, I recognize my brokenness and my sinfulness. And it's actually reflective of us as a people. That's why we're where we are in exile. That's why we can't go to the temple and be in your presence. But Lord, if you fix us, if you forgive us, if you put a new heart in us, then we will gather together again and we'll do the things that you prescribe but we'll do them with the right heart. We'll be set right then. We'll gather together and our getting together on Sunday morning and our spending 15 minutes in God's word, our memorizing all the God's word, all of that will be fruitful and productive because you've transformed us from the inside. You've made us a useful people once again. And I think that's what he wants for us. I think he wants to see us participate in what he's doing in making things right in our world. So today we've been talking about change, emphasizing the idea that confession is the trailhead to the transformed life. And here's how you can practically apply that. Take that step towards God. For some of you, that might be being honest about something you know that it's sin, you know that you're doing wrong, you've been trying to ignore it, pretend that it's not there, not being honest and authentic with yourself, and certainly not being honest and, honest and authentic before God. It's time to get real before him. For others, it, it might be recognizing that it's just not forgiveness for the past, but he has a new path for you to be on, and you need to be uh, he wants to renew a steadfast spirit in you where you're just taking one step after the other in the right direction. And, and what's happening right now is you're kind of standing still. You're stagnant or stuck. Or maybe every once in a while you're kind of like going backwards a little bit. And he's, uh, he's like, nope, nope, wrong way. Okay, let's, let's start moving in the right direction again. Take a step towards God. You know what that is. I don't have to spell out all the options. God is speaking to your heart right now, probably telling you what your next step is and how you're stuck, but it's time to get moving again. And for others, it might be just recognizing God didn't, God didn't plant you here in order for you to be a potted plant on Sunday mornings. That he has stuff for you to do during the week and he you know john and mason probably came and talked to you they tried to talk to everybody they knew while they were here because they're on mission and they want you to join in their mission well guess what you're on mission too and god is asking you to join him in his mission it's time to get active productive and useful in your faith that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be whole. And he wants you to be useful and productive. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have good things planned for us. Elizabeth mentioned that verse earlier today. And we see in this psalm where there's such an admission of our brokenness, of our falling shortness in every aspect of life, but you want something better for us. You want to heal us. You want to transform us. You want to write a new ending to our story. Lord, I pray 
that you would show each of us exactly what we need to do with what we've heard today and then give us the courage and strength to take that next step with you, whatever that looks like. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said.